Hello. So it was my birthday yesterday. I'm a little bit groggy this morning. Uh, getting older. So the parties have moved from bar rooms to my apartment's living room. And to be honest, they're no longer really parties. It was more like my neighbors came over for a puppy play date with wine and apps. But it was so nice to be around people I love, just a small group. And it made me just think of those days when, I mean, it was probably only months that this was true, but it felt like years where we couldn't even go inside each other's apartments because of COVID in those early days. Oh, that was dreadful. Also, I tweeted about this, but maybe worth mentioning for the LOL, as the kids say. Uh, I treated myself to a daylight beer in downtown DC yesterday. I just went for a long walk in the cold, told myself I'd see what happened, and I wandered into this new bar I hadn't tried yet. And I was sitting there, minding my own business, drinking my hazy IPA, when I heard this group of four people behind me comparing privacy in China to privacy in the EU. And then they started throwing around four-letter words like GDPR and LGBT. LGPD. Ugh, I can never say that one. I couldn't help myself. I whipped around to be like, do y'all work in privacy? Sort of ironic that I was invading theirs to ask the question, but you rarely hear those terms. So, I mean, not in the wild. Obviously, in our little circles, you can't get away from them. But at a bar, the middle of the day, 14th Street Northwest? Anyway, it turns out they don't work in privacy. But one of the dudes at the table had worked on the red team at Meta, where his job was to try and ensure that data couldn't get breached within Meta's systems, you know, some pen testing and that sort of thing. Anyway, that was so fun. Birthday over. On to this week's news, and then I'll enter my guest. Taking clock, please. Kind sound engineer. TechCrunch reported this week that among all the resignations at Twitter after Musk took over, the company has named an acting DPO. That's after Twitter's CISO, DPO, and chief compliance officers left recently. The story notes that Twitter has a 2011 consent decree with the FTC that, quote, requires it to submit regular reports on how it's living up to ongoing commitments to safeguard user data, end quote. Next, Google has agreed to pay a $391.5 million fine to 40 states to settle allegations that it continued to track users' location data even after consumers thought they'd turned off the feature. The settlement is the largest by state attorneys general in U.S. history, the Washington Post reports. Aside from cash money, Google is also forbidden from hiding, quote, key information about location tracking, end quote, and it must, quote, give users detailed information about the types of location data it collects and how it's used, end quote. Next, but relatedly, and God, I appreciate it when the news makes segues easy. They're the really hardest part about podcasting and reporting in general. Uh, Relatedly. Apple faces a new class action alleging it records users' private activity on mobile apps without their consent and despite Apple's privacy assurances, Bloomberg reports. The suit alleges Apple violated the California Invasion of Privacy Act. The case is called Libman v. Apple, if you want to look it up, and it was filed on November 10th. Oh, and lastly, if you haven't read the latest edition of the Privacy Beat newsletter, and if you haven't, what are you waiting for, you guys? Go go read it, okay, and subscribe to it. Anyway, if you read it, you saw my report from the latest on Max Schrems. Um, he did a podcast recently where he described his team's position on Privacy Shield 2.0. He said, quote, we're ready to go for round three. Uh, because of course he is. And so the cycle continues. 
Lo and behold, Hogan Lovells released a memo that one of the German state's DPAs has doubts on whether the standards are sufficient in the executive order that Biden issued. That's ostensibly going to allow Privacy Shield 2.0 to happen. Obviously, as Shrem notes on the podcast, the dissatisfaction is over the new safeguards, which the EU feels fall short of European standards on intelligence agencies, quote, portionately, end quote, using data for investigations and counterterrorism. Second issue is, as usual, with the proposed judicial redress mechanism, namely the Data Protection Review Court, which the DPA cites as part of the executive branch, as it's written, and not independent like traditional courts. Um, many of you are in Brussels this week. I am not in Brussels, but I did see that Schrems did a panel where he articulated much of this. So, seems like we're ready for round three. Okay. Don't get too comfortable with any new agreement. Okay. Enough of that. This week, my guest is California's Deputy Attorney General, Stest, oh my God, I mess her name up every time. She's going to kill me when she hears this. Stacy Schesser. I've always been a big fan of Stacy's because she really came to where the privacy pros were in the early days of CCPA. I met her at several conferences, uh, IAPP conferences, RSA as well. And I thought that that was cool because she didn't really have to be there, but she knew that that's where many of the folks she needed to reach during the attorney general's educational campaign season on what CCPA meant and how companies would need to comply would be. She knew they'd be there. Anyway, we've been talking for years, Stacey and I, about doing a podcast, and we finally connected. I'm turning this chat into a two-part series because I do try and keep these podcasts bite-sized for you. I want you to be able to listen within one commute, for example, or one workout sesh, as I know some of you do. So look out for part two of our conversation in the next episode. A note, I asked you on Twitter what you'd like to ask the California AG's office if you could. Many of you offered up some great questions, but they were highly operational or required sort of advice on how to interpret various provisions. The condition of Stacey being able to do this interview is that she's not permitted to give legal advice in any way. So I couldn't get into the weeds, but I think this interview goes a long way to helping us understand the humans behind the enforcement agency that oversees this law that basically changed all of our lives. Let me know what you think. I'd love if you'd share the episode or rate and review it if you'd like. And if you don't like it, maybe skip the rate and review and just send me an angry note. Okay. Seriously though, I'd love to chat about it. I always take your concerns seriously. Hope you enjoy. Love you. Talk soon. All right, Stacey, I am so excited truly to have you on the show in part because, um, we, for years, I've seen you speak at different events, um, and I've always wanted to just hear what you have to say. One, because I think you're a really good speaker, and two, because you work at an institution that's so important to so many people for so many reasons. Um, and I always think it's like it's nice to meet the people behind sort of the um, the agency. So also, I do want you to know that I have been practicing in private. Um, how to say your name, because you will recall that one time I introduced you in front of many people. I think we were actually at RSA and it wasn't even an IAPP conference, but whatever it was, you were coming to do a very important talk in the CCPA's early days. And I was I, in front of the microphone, in front of all these people, I was like, Stacy Schusser. And I just, <laughs> it's not that hard of a name. Like it's Schusser, Schusser, right? But for some reason it was very difficult. So I still feel bad about it. Apologies. How are you? And what is life like these days for you? 
So um, I'm going to start with the boring part first and just say a quick disclaimer. This is These views are my own that we're about to talk about. Um, they should not be attributed to the Attorney General or to the state of California. I'm here appearing on my own, and I am so thrilled to be here, Angelique. I knew that whether or not you're going to say my last name was a dicey question. Um, you are not alone in terms of uh, whether or not you're going to be able to pronounce it right. Through my whole life, people have struggled with it. It's it's Chesser. Um, I could have been a professor. Um, my parents' running joke when I was little was we could name her Vanessa. And then I, I'm from Jersey originally, so I would have, I would be Vanessa Chesser. But um, <laughs> yeah, so it, I I know that there's some, uh, there's some uh, like a little bit of background joke attached to my last name, but yeah, you you nailed it. Great job. Got it. Finally. It's all, it took like four years, but I'm here. Yeah. Um, so yeah. it was always it was always 50-50, by the way, with uh, Attorney General Becerra, if he was going to get my name right. And when he did, my dad was always thrilled. It was always a big moment. We, we were like, yes, he did it. But Rob Bonta actually has been 100%. So that's incredible. Things are, things are looking up. Yeah. The thing about it is like when you look at it on paper, it's not complicated. And it's just something about the like immediacy of having to follow the sh- sound with two S's. You know, I think it just it gets you fouled up. It gets you messed up or something. But anyway, uh, we got it right. Um, we got our disclosure out of the way. This is just Stacy talking. It's not, uh, it's not on behalf of the California attorney general's office. Um, how's it been going? What's life like these days for you? I assume very busy. Yeah, I think if I had to describe my life, it would be the word that would come up would be busy. Um, you know, life changed a lot on June 25th, 2018 when CCPA passed and it, it never really went back to normal. Uh, I often say how the day that the CCPA passed both houses and Jerry Brown signed it. I had to go for a walk around the neighborhood because I knew that my life was just going to be different. And that was a hundred percent true. Um, there's a lot that's always going on in privacy and it's going on all the time. And I remember even when I was in law school and I started getting interested in this space, you know, I would always feel like a day behind about the day, a day behind the news cycle. And so I think that now, you know, practicing in this space for so long, I've also come to embrace that because things change so quickly. It makes it really exciting. And there's always something to think about or to, to, to study and to learn. And that's one of the areas that, you know, that's one of the, the, the aspects of this area that I love so much. Does it ever feel overwhelming that like, for me, I always feel overwhelmed in trying to learn all there is to know about privacy. And, you know, obviously uh, at your office, you're very focused on CCPA these days, but there's so much to that. Um, And now we have CPRA. Like, I feel like sometimes people ask questions about the implementation of the law or what they're supposed to do or whatever their anxieties are. And sometimes like, we're still figuring that out. Like, do you have a sense for that yourself or not so much? I think that it's good that it changes because it's so hard for the law to keep pace with technology in many ways. And so what I think is exciting about being in this space is thinking about how the law should be keeping pace with technology and trying to evolve legal arguments so that it does, it does do that. Um, and so, you know, when it changes and there is a, like an urgent need to update the law, I think it becomes very apparent, right? Like for example, um, a, few years ago, California updated its uh, data breach notification law and its um, reasonable data security law. And I remember that, you know, we were the first state in 2003 that had the notice law. And now all the states have one. Um, and so it's become, you know, standard. And then our, our law became outdated, 
right? Because it didn't include things like biometric data and in some cases, um, unique government IDs. And so we had to update our law. And so that's a good example of sometimes things don't necessarily keep pace. It's our job at the DOJ to sort of think about ways in which we're trying to apply the law in new innovative ways, and especially around the privacy space. Um, and if the law doesn't keep pace, you change it. So I think that that is, you know, something to sort of embrace and think about it as a challenge as opposed to feel like, oh my gosh, this is this is a huge task. For sure. Okay. So I'm just curious, um, you know, broadly speaking, how would you characterize how CCPA enforcement um, and guidance, I guess, uh, is going so far? What's good? What's bad? What's terrible? What's frustrating? So that's a great question. You know, I think that we've come, you know, we had some certain stages. I have to think about it in stages, right? We had the initial stage where the law passed and we were trying to wrap our arms around it. And we were tasked with this, you know, incredible role of writing regulations, which was something that candidly, you know, I was new to and had to learn from the ground up. Um, and it was a really exciting time for us because we were writing laws. We were writing the, the regulations to interpret the law and it had never been done before. And there was, it was a huge, um, undertaking. It was a huge lift. And then the pandemic hit, right? As we were right about to start wrapping up our, our rulemaking process and about to, to file our regulations with the Office of Administrative Law. Um, and if I could just tell a quick story about, you know, the fact that like, that was a huge lift. And on the day that we filed our package, our final package with Office of Administrative Law was on June 1st, 2020, because we had to do it 30 days. You know, it, it would take 30 days for review. Um, and we were rushing to meet, we were racing to meet the deadline. And the night before, I will never forget this. I love, I, you know, this is a, this just is a testament to how hard everyone was working up into the last minute. We had this you know, significant package that we were getting ready to file. I think it was 1,500 pages. And the night before, the country was in, you know, it was still reeling from the George Floyd murder. And in Sacramento, there were protests going on. And the offices, all of the state offices, there was an email that went out at 10 o'clock at night on Sunday night. And all of the offices were closed. All the state offices were closed due to, according to the email on CHP, the California Highway Patrol, civil unrest. And I was like, I, I like, all I did was like sit back in my chair at 10 o'clock at night and just start cracking up because I was almost delirious. Because of course this was going to happen the night before we had to pack the pa file the package. And we, we couldn't physically, OAL at that point wasn't accepting any electronic submissions and we couldn't physically get to the office to file the package. And so I remember like being on the phone at 10 o'clock at night, 11 o'clock at night with my counterpart in the um, Sacramento office and her being like, I'll just drive there. It'll be fine. I'm like, I don't think you understand how dire this is. And then at six o'clock in the morning, the next morning on June 1st, I called up um, a wonderful, one of, wonderful member of my team. And I said, I hope you've had coffee. And if not, go get some right now, because this is going to be crazy of a day. And sure enough, we were like, printing out the final like pages and overnighting it by FedEx to make sure that it had that timestamp that it was ready to go in, um, you know, to be filed with OAL that day on June 1st. And we got it done. Um, but that was like, you know, that was like the first phase. And then we started to enforce on July 1st, 2020, a month later, and we started our first wave of enforcement. And like, you know, we've just kind of been just going so hard since then. 
Um, and so there was, I think we did a fantastic job so far with CCP enforcement. I think even if you talk to members of the private bar, I think they'll have, uh, you know, very positive things to say about how reasonable we, we've been throughout this whole process in terms of what our enforcement has looked like. Um, I'm very, very proud of our first enforcement action that we filed in August against Sephora. Um, I think that that was an important case for us to to, to file regarding, um, you know, the the way in which we found, you know, we alleged that the company had violated the law. Um, and it was the product of a resolution, you know, so that is a negotiated resolution for the company. And we thought that that was also a positive thing for everybody. Um, and so, yeah. And now the next thing that's up is, and you're going to, you're going to cringe when I say this, but it's Cipra. I know that nobody says it that way. They say CPRA. That's a huge Twitter debate right now, but I've always said it's Cipra. Is that, y'all say, do y'all that- all, do y'all all use Cipra in the AG's office? Yeah. I mean, I guess the secret's out right now, but I think we all refer to it as some, I don't think that many people call it CPRA. I know this is like a hot. It is. It's hot. A hot pole. Right. We've called it Cipra. And I know that sounds like it's really controversial, right? That's not how people pronounce it, but that's what I've said. Amazing. I know. Sorry. Interesting. I, you know, I feel like the nation, we try, we do try and align ourselves with the California AG's office. So maybe Cipra, you know, it's coming. I actually was just, I have, it takes too much time. It takes I know. CPR. And who has time? I know. Right. And even worse is like CC, you know, CPRA, CCPA as amended by CPRA. Like, but I, as a non-lawyer, I have to say, I had to ask the question there because I didn't know. I was like, what do we call this now? Like, is it the CPRA? Is it the CCPA as amended? And I had to be taught that, no, the law is still the CCPA. So you can still refer to it. Like it will still encompass the CPRA if you say CCPA. Um, But when you, when you try and get specific about, because I feel like the CPRA is actually a beast in its own now that people are trying to comply with and almost seem separate from the CPRA. So anyway, semantic. CIPRA is the Delta, right? It's the amendment. So CIPRA is the Delta between um, what exists under CCPA now and what will be amended and go into effect on January 1st. I yeah. think we'll probably stop calling it Cipra. I guess it's just a way to distinguish this Delta that yeah. is happening right now. And so it is the CCPA as amended by the Cipra amendments, I guess. Yeah. I guess it's a little yeah. bit repetitive, but yeah. Yeah. Let's uh, just call it CCPA. It's easier that way. Let's right? just call it CCPA. One thing that I think is interesting about enforcement is that I think when you look at it on its face, when you look at enforcement dates, people start to think like, well, the day after the enforcement date, we're going to start to see headlines and someone's going to get nailed. But have you been surprised by, and I don't know if this is your experience, it's something I hear out of DPAs in Europe, but that investigations, I mean, and you guys do your other investigations on plenty of matters at the uh, AGs besides privacy, but have you found privacy investigations take longer or more complicated than you thought or not so much? Gosh, that is a great question. It really runs the gamut. You know, there are some investigations that move. Well, I will say this, like there's different phases, right? There's the investigations phase. And then there is always, you know, the the thing that we do is we evaluate if the law has been violated. That is always our central question in terms of looking at what a company has or has not done that could rise to a violation of the law. And in California, you know, we have a really um, robust consumer protection law. And privacy essentially is a form of consumer protection. It's a subset of, of all the different consumer protection issues that that are out there, like, you know, ranging from um, like 
you know, landlord-tenant issues are consumer issues, mortgage questions are consumer issues. Um, there's a whole range of different consumer protection issues. And so, you know, the privacy unit sits in the consumer protection section at the DOJ. Um, and in California, you know, we have this incredibly robust law, the unfair competition law, where any violation of a law, a state law, a federal law, for example, can be alleged as a violation of the unfair competition law. And so that is always what we're looking at in terms of has any law been violated? Um, and that's the primary role of what we're investigating. We are investigating has the company violated the law? Um, the ways in which the resolution of an investigation look, right, the resolution takes time because in some cases we are trying to term, determine, you know, is this a case where we should approach for a negotiated resolution with the company because, a, you know, a negotiated resolution would be um, appropriate in this in this specific investigation. In other cases, you go to litigation, right? There, my counterparts in the consumer protection case have litigated against, for example, Johnson and Johnson. Uh, just they they just finished a litigation against um, Ashford, for example, for for-profit schools. So there are cases in which you know there the resolution looks different, and then it takes much longer because litigation takes much longer. Um, in the privacy space, you know, we've had some cases that, like for example. Um, you know, Sephora moved rather quickly, right? Because uh, that was a negotiated resolution. We had, you know, conducted an investigation and then, you know, it, we had entered into a negotiated resolution. There's other cases in which um, I would say like, for example, Equifax was, I think like close to 17 months or 19 months from the day in which the, the breach occurred and the date in which the state attorney general filed this resolution. And then there's cases in which that last even if it's a negotiated resolution, like it's lasted for years because sometimes it just takes a while to hammer out details. And we are, um, you know, mindful of what can and can't be done in terms of trying to negotiate terms, for example, with a company and a monetary penalty. Um, but, you know, those kinds of things are things that just take time. And uh, for when you when you go to. um you know, to enter into a dialogue for a potential potential resolution versus when you decide to go to litigation. Is that determination made by maybe some sort of sliding scale on which, well, this company, it seems like they were making efforts on data protection and privacy, but there was a misstep and it's rather egregious. So we let's we, we think we can talk to them and resolve this versus litigation would be like, this was absolutely nefarious. So we're going straight to litigation or is that not how the determination is made? I'm going to steer away from saying something categorically like one way or the other and instead just remind folks out there that, you know, we are always exercising, for example, prosecutorial discretion. And that is part of the analysis that we undertake in terms of, you know, what is an appropriate resolution in this case, mm -hmm. you know, and so I'm not going to go necessarily and and, and discuss in any sort of great detail or context in which you go down one path versus another, because every case is different. Every context is different. Every factual situation is different and the laws are different. Mm -hmm. um, but we always think about things in terms of exercising prosecutorial discretion when it comes to enforcement. Mm -hmm. um, I think that there's often times in which companies are like, you should exercise prosecutorial discretion and, and close your case. And that is something that I don't see happening with great regularity. I will say that. Um, you know, I think that, you know, CCPA has been to pivot back to CCPA. It's been very unique in that it has this uh, requirement for 
um, before any enforcement begins that the entity must be notified of alleged noncompliance. Uh, what's interesting is that this statute was written in the passive voice. So it's never said the attorney general, for example, has to give notice. It just says that the um, business needs to be notified of alleged noncompliance. Um, and so we've had this scenario, right, for the last few years, which is going away, in, you know, once SIPR goes into effect, there's not this requirement anymore before mm-hmm. civil action can be brought, um, that there needs to be notice that's done of alleged noncompliance. Now, that's not saying that notice, you know, that we're not going to provide, uh, like, you know, for example, we might be doing an informal inquiry letter. We might but we might also jump right to doing formal investigatory process and issuing subpoenas at the gate. Mm-hmm. Um, so things are going to be a little different under SIPRA, but, um, you know, how we pro- how we decide to pursue enforcement and make, you know, tactical decisions is something that is really within our role as a law enforcement agency. Right. Okay. So let's talk a little bit more about SIPRA, as you call it. Uh, I'm going to stick, I'm going to stand my ground. Uh <laughs> You do you. You do yes. you. <laughs> okay. Once CPRA comes into force, you know, you mentioned things will be different, but um, speaking broadly, uh, how do you think that you mentioned when CCPA came into, came into force, like your life changed? How does, how do things change uh, on January 1? So on January 1, you know, the amendments go into effect. I don't think that that's going to be the date for us, like in terms of, you know, we will be reminding companies, for example, hey, you have new additional obligations under CIPRA. There's new rights that you have to um, now have, uh, you know, afford consumers the right to correct and amend, for example. That's something that's new and distinct that CIPRA amended. Um, but the enforcement date for us is, you know, July 1st, the twenty. 2022. Sorry, it's this, it was the same under CCPA, and I wanted to make sure I didn't say 2020 by accident. Um, you know, when CCPA's enforcement date went into effect on July 1st, 2020, we sent out notice letters right away. And I think everybody was really surprised. They were like, what? They're enforcing it on the first day? And it's like, of course we're enforcing it on the first day. That is what we do. We are enforcing laws. That is, you know, the attorney general is the chief law enforcer for the state of California. Um, And so we enforce, unlike, you know, for example, there's going to be a new cop on the beat, which we welcome, the the new California agency, the California Privacy Protection Agency. I'm just going to call them the agency because... Then we got the CPPA. There's all these different, more acronyms, right? Yeah. And that, and, you know, we are going to be enforcing the law as we would any other law. And as opposed to the agency that's only going to be enforcing, for example, the CCPA as amended by the CIPRA, we're going to continue to enforce that law in addition to all of the other consumer protection and privacy laws that we currently enforce. So if you could tell me more about what that relationship will look like. So the the agency, the CPPA, will handle uh, the CPRA. Y'all will still maintain enforcement of CCPA. So have you been able to carve out, are there hard and fast lines? I mean, that seems like a good delineation, but there has to be some collaboration, I would think. What does that look like? Totally. So the agency will have administrative enforcement authority, right? And so the Department of Justice retains civil enforcement authority. Our cases will still be brought in court, for example. That's the best way to distinguish. And administrative enforcement authority will be before, likely before the board and perhaps before that, perhaps before 
a administrative law judge that will review the factual record and write a recommended decision to the board. I'm not 100% sure about the process just yet, so you know, bear with me. Um, but they are going to be pursuing things administratively. Um, so it, it'll look, you know, in some cases, like similar to how the FTC handles its enforcement versus the US DOJ, which handles its enforcement through, you know, civil enforcement. Um, in terms of how things will work in terms of divvying up, you know, we are going to be very collaborative with the agency. Um, the the DOJ, I, I think people probably realize this by now, but it says in the statute that the Department of Justice shall provide support support to the agency as it's getting stood up, which is, you know, why you've seen the incredible Lisa Kim at some of the agency board meetings um, being, as I refer to her, the regs diva that she is, the regulations diva that she is. She is incredible. Um, she has been providing support to the agency and been critical um, throughout their rulemaking process. Um, I've also done some support work as well for the agency and helping them get stood up. I've known Ashkan for years um, and I've, I know, you know, Chair Urban, we both hail from the Samuelson Clinic at the, at UC Berkeley Law School. I have an incredible amount of respect and adoration for her and she has worked so hard in getting this agency going. Um, you know, she took on something that didn't exist, right? So she came on board and was and and created started to create something out of nothing, right? The board is the one that hired Ashkan, and then now Ashkan is trying to get the agency staffed up, and the agency is staffed up, is getting more staffed up as as we speak. Um, but they've built something out of nothing that has you know some pretty demanding timelines in place, similar to how the, the DOJ had demanding timelines in place for getting its regulations and they are they're doing it. Um, and they are going, you know, they are they are working incredibly hard to uh, get the regulations going. Um, and they also have an additional layer of badly keen or open meeting law open meetings laws um, that's required of them as a state agency that the Department of Justice did not have. Right. It's a state agency that has a board and under state law, they cannot meet in private. For example, every meeting must be before the public. And that adds a whole new layer of process for doing these regulations that we didn't have to deal with. Um, and adds a layer of transparency, which is why people are like, why are the regulations attached as documents to the agenda for a board meeting and not, you know, what is going on here? And that's all because of Bagley Keene. Um, and so they've had this additional procedural layer that they've had to navigate and they're doing, you know, really hard work in terms of figuring out how to modify and update the existing regulations. Um, and they're, they're doing great. So going forward, there's obviously going to be collaboration. We have to figure out, you know, does it make more sense for this to be an administrative enforcement? Or is this more of a case in which there's um, complexity involved and additional legal theories? So, for example, are there other types of privacy laws that might have been violated so that it makes sense that it's not just solely a, a, a CCPA case, but it's got, you know, additional legal theories at play or legal claims at play that, you know, the DOJ should handle it? Um there's a little bit of tension created in the law, right? The DOJ has the ability to tell the agency to stop what they're doing in terms of the, it says they, they can stay an investigation or an enforcement action because the DOJ has a bit of supremacy to the agency in that way. Mm -hmm. um, 
but what the agency does is also binding on us. So we we really have to be very clear and um, collaborative in terms of what's happening. And um, yeah, I look, I really look forward to continuing to work with the agency. There's some incredible people that are already staffed there. I have this dream and I know this isn't how the procedure works or will work, but it's just like a Slack channel. And it's like you, Bonta, Oshkan, uh, now McTaggart, uh, <laughs> Lydia De La Torre, like, and you're just like, should we go, should we go after these? Look at this. Should we go after these guys? Like, I know that's not how the collaboration is going to no, work. And it can't because of Bagley Keen. You can't, we, we right? you could not have those side conversations at all. Right, right, right. So I'm Fair. sorry to kill kill your slack dreams right there, but that does not exist. Love to be on a, a fly on the wall there. <laughs> um, okay, so um, I would imagine too, just to finish up on the agency that, you know, I mean, these are professionals who are steeped in privacy knowledge ostensibly, uh, and they they've come together to form a board that's standing, you know, I think of like a baby giraffe learning to walk, like they're trying to figure out how to be an enforcer and they must really... Um, I mean, it's great that you have this collaboration. I would think that they would lean on the AG's office quite a bit as not only like a long established enforcement agency, but also someone who went through the whole CCPA process, right? You have some tips and tricks for them, I would assume, not that we need to share them publicly, but they must lean on you for that. Yeah, I mean, we have had a very, um, you know, we've had a really positive relationship. I think a huge thing, again, is having people who work at DOJ going over to the agency to do work. Um, and so, you know, that's not just people who were familiar, for example, with, with privacy and have privacy matter, subject matter expertise, but also people who have, um, expertise in the administrative procedures act and how rulemaking work, Mm -hmm. um, works. And so in addition to all the other nuances and legal challenges that getting a new state agency up and running, um, require in terms of getting, you know, solid legal advice, um, so I think, you know, there there has been a lot of communication, but this is something that, you know, we do all the time with other states, for example, you know, the DOJ and, you know, privacy has worked with other states in many different matters. We also work intrastate. So we work with uh, like local district attorney's offices who are also doing consumer protection or privacy work. Uh, we have also worked with international partners as well. So we you know, we have to make the most out of the resources that we have. And part of that is being collaborative and trying to figure out, you know, how to um, cover different areas and also um, complement one another. Mm -hmm. So uh, I want to ask you, and this question comes from this, I had a question for you that I was going to say, like, how how do you feel like it went in terms of educating the public on CCPA? And for me, uh, when you were doing sort of your educational campaign earlier on, and I'm sure I'm sure still, for me, I'm so steeped in this privacy world, you know, by happenstance, that uh, I felt very apprised of what y'all were doing and very aware, certainly, that there was a big law coming and oh my God. But, um, you know, sometimes I talk to people who, for whatever reason, have clients who are just sort of figuring out, you know, not even new businesses necessarily, sort of figuring out what their obligations are under not only CPRA, but CCPA. I wonder as a broader question for you, as you look back on, uh, you know, all that you did to prepare for CCPA as this new country leading law, for lack of a better term, is there anything that you would have done differently that uh, from an agency perspective, not necessarily just on education. uh, And I'm not saying that that went poorly to me from, for me, it seemed like it went great. But was there anything that you're like looking back as, as is it your first time as an agency dealing with all of that that you would have changed? 
for Stacey's answer to that last question of mine, as well as for more of our chat, which includes global privacy controls, the selling and sharing of data, and the California AG's Sephora case, check out the next episode. Coming at you soon. If you don't want to miss it, subscribe.